you know, I, I want you to turn in your Bibles, turn on your Bibles, as Pastor Ross says, or if you can, grab the, uh, the notes there, and we're going to jump right into it. I believe that uh, this is an in-season word. Obviously, I've already been able to speak it twice. I hope that it doesn't come upon deaf ears or a, or a heart that is hard, but that you would be open to what the Lord would have to say to you. Um, and I believe that's true, or you wouldn't be here. You would have stayed home. And so uh, I, I feel like there's, there's kind of a, um, there's an undertone to this message that uh, can cause you to, to frighten, to be scared of what is next. Uh, but as I get into it, there's just some realities that, that the Lord is showing me about us as a church that I think we've got to get a handle on in order to, to move on, to, to, to move on into the next thing that the Lord has for us. And uh, hopefully for you personally and for your family and for whatever uh, you do in, in your career as well. And so go to Jeremiah 17, will you? We are uh, going to look at this Old Testament scripture. It's a, a prophecy that is brought by Jeremiah to the people of God, to you and I. Um, it in fact starts with the words, this is what the Lord says. He's a, not afraid to bring the message. And so I'm going to read that. Should come up on the screen. Jeremiah 17 and verse 5. It says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man and self, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. Sounds like a really great life. In the message version, it says that this man, the cursed man who trusts in himself, he lives rootless and aimless in a land where nothing grows. And in verse 7, it says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Say blessed. blessed. Who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. A tree that does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. A tree that has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And in verse 9, he kind of turns a little bit here from the comparison and he says these words. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And then the rhetorical question, who then can understand it? So we see it's pretty obvious there's a comparison going on here between the life of the cursed man and the life of the blessed man. I prefer the blessed one. He's posing a rhetorical question about the spiritual core in us. Obviously, it's not of the physical heart, but of the, the abyss that is in each one of us to make decisions. In the King James Version, he says that the heart is wicked above all things, or as my Daughter's favorite movie puts it, beware the frozen heart. If I have to watch that movie one more time. I have two little girls, y'all. And that's all they want to do is watch that movie. So the song in the movie says, beautiful, powerful, dangerous, cold. This icy force, both foul and fair. Speaking of the heart, enter Pabby. This here wise and mystical old troll, do you recognize him from the movie? He looks a lot like me, right? Those eyebrows? I've got those, bro. I'm sorry about that. 
Perry everywhere. My ears are probably on their way to that size and my nose as well. What a cruel joke God played on humankind, right? You know, the, the nose is just going to continue to grow. There you go. It's a gift. He's going to get to laugh at us on the way. I wonder what Jesus' nose and ears are going to look like. That's going to be fun to see. But he's got his new body, so that doesn't really pertain to my message at all. I want to suggest here, just as Pappy would say, that the heart is not so easily changed, but the head can be persuaded. This is what he says in the movie. We purpose in our hearts. The intellectual types, those of you that are really smart, you want to attribute a lot of authority to what goes on in here in the mind. Those of us that are dumb, we're glad that there's not a whole lot of authority here. But in actuality, I want, I want to kind of point you in this direction. I think that the mind is a lot like a calculator. It's where the primary function is to organize data and sift through the facts, and yet the heart then is much more like a compass, that it's in here where we determine and establish life's purposes. And Jeremiah says it's in here that things are unreliable, that there's deceitfulness. Look at a couple other scriptures. They won't come up on the screen, but just listen to them. Luke 6, 45 says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Do you see the, the, the tear there that we're thinking now in our hearts? Is this is the way God made us? And then the reality is that life happening in real time confirms the unreliable nature of the heart. And the unreliable nature of the heart then confirms our need, our desperate need for Jesus. Would you agree with that? That we have to be redeemed, that we can't be left alone to our own vices, our own devices. Bless you. Life happening in real time. Let me give you some, some, some big and small realities. For some, the heart convinces them that nobody cares. It's a persuasion that rolls up on you like a wave of various sizes and strength. The tide of loneliness comes in nearly every single day. Sitting by yourself at lunch or driving into work. But surely not logical up here. You are not alone, but the paralyzed fear of perpetual isolation. You spend your day, watch this, desperately hiding, yet equally as desperate to be seen. Oh, the heart, how deceiving it can be. Life happening in real time, a small reality now. Check this out. You and I, maybe not some of you because you're better than me, but I laugh when people get hurt. It's funny to me when someone falls off a ladder. I quite enjoy it when someone gets kicked in the face by a mule, like they're standing behind it. It's, it's kind of the deal. I love, I love the way he kind of just stumbles back to his position. What are you doing behind a mule, bro? And clapping and slapping him. You're going to get kicked in the face. And you sick people just laughed at him. The heart is deceitful. Or how about this one, another big reality. Life happening in real time. Not but a short month ago. June 18th, the heart 
lures a father to head into work on a hot summer day and leave his not yet two-year-old son out in the car to die. You and I, we say, what was he thinking? Oh, but the heart is deceitful above all things. Beautiful, powerful, dangerous, and cold. How about another small reality? Is there anybody in the room here? There's, there's a lot of ladies here. If there's gentlemen that do this too, but you should probably not admit it. But how many, how many of you Pinterest? That's kind of a thing you do. There's a lot of hands that went right up. You're pinning stuff right now on your phone. You're just pinning and pinning and pinning and pinning. Seriously, people, can I suggest that Pinterest is a hard issue? I mean, let me tell you what's going on here. You realize on Pinterest full well that your life is not as put together as everyone else's, don't you? I've seen it happen. People pin and pin and pin, and, and then they kind of get to 2 a.m., and they're pinning, and then the realization in your heart settles in, man, everybody else has got all the good ideas. And then watch this. Now you go on to the next layer, and you try to pull off one of those really brilliant ideas, and check out what happens. This is kind of a picture of what happens. <laughs> Pinterest is a heart issue. See, see over here, this one got pinned by a 1,000 moms. And that guy over there, he's a victim to his mom's heart. It's like sitting on the seeds. He can't figure out which way is up and how he's going to get his fat legs out of there. It's a hard issue, Pinterest. Life happening in real time. Or how about the young woman who can't remove herself from an abusive relationship? You and I, we say, what is she thinking? Silencing logic, she believes in her heart that he is good. How? At least good enough. How? It's an abusive relationship that has no strong characteristics. Life happening in real time, the list could go on and on and on. Cause for divorce, for complacency, for living as a victim or as an antagonist. Cause for murder or for simple procrastination. We say to ourselves, what was I thinking? I should have started on that a long time ago. And now it's Christmas Eve, and I've got to put all these toys together for my girls, and I'm going to be up all night long. What was I thinking? I'm just going to start now. I'm going to go ahead and buy those Christmas presents now and start putting them together now. No procrastination for me. So we settle it that the heart is inherently, at best, a place where we cannot rely. It is an unreliable environment. So I'm going to give you three things, three really simple steps that can help us with some heart conditioning. Number one, no pun intended, we have to let it go. Don't start singing it, please, and thank you. Oh no, it's starting over here. Second Chronicles 16 I'll just read these couple of scriptures to you. It says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. In Ezekiel, he promises to give you and I a new heart and a new spirit. Isn't this good news? Because the good news is following the fact that we can't do enough good on our own. I want to be careful here that I don't become convicted of spiritual or religious bigotry in any way. I know that there are some people here, you are on a journey with Christ, that maybe you have not surrendered fully to him, that letting it go seems like 
the worst case scenario, that you, you would rather do things on your own. And so when I say stuff like, we are doomed without Jesus, and everyone in the room agrees with me, you don't quite have that understanding. And so no matter what your measure of faith is today, I have to be certain that primary for me, I'm just glad you're here, that you showed up. It shows your own spirit and soul that you were willing to come through the random office doors in a random office complex and sit down and be a part of our service. And so thank you for that. But I have a question for everybody in the room, and it is really simple. It's, it's where does daily strength and eternal hope come from without Jesus? I don't know the answer to that. In fact, it's the reason that my worship is so expressive. Because I cannot go on without him. I can't go one day without putting Jesus at the center. I know what life is like. It's a tribute to my own testimony of where I was before Jesus and where I am knowing that I've let it go. From the hopelessness of I think my car is about to die to I just lost my job. How on earth without Jesus? From the misery of my mom won't let me have my cell phone to my mom was just diagnosed with some incurable disease. How do we do that kind of stuff without Jesus? Look at Proverbs chapter 3. It's no irony that in our second service, one of the gentlemen in our church came and brought this as a word during worship. But I want us to read it together. It says, starting in verse 1, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. Everyone say, in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. It's the life I want. Let love and faithfulness never lead you. Bind them around your neck. Look at, look at this word picture here. You have love and you have faithfulness bound around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Almost like an engraving in a tree is the word picture I get. Love and faithfulness. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. In the verse we all know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Everyone say, all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge or submit to him. And he'll make your path straight. So why is it not inerrant for us, the humankind, to surrender to Jesus? To give up our independence and freedom and take on a dependence that results in his freedom. Enter Isla Renee. This is my baby girl. She is doomed for a hairy future as well. You can't see it in this picture, but she actually has a unibrow. That's, that's her uh, curse already. You're not supposed to have a unibrow too, people. That's a, a cruel joke that got played on her through a gene pool. But this beautiful little two-year-old girl once said, I do it. I do it. I do it. I do it. Not once. She says it over and over and over and over again every day. She says it about everything. She wants to put on her own shoes. She wants to put on her own diaper. She wants to put on my shoes. She wants to put on my diaper. There's a million things that she wants to do by herself. 
Why? Because it's inerrant to seek independence. And yet, God wants surrender from us. And I couldn't stress this first point enough, and I believe that the majority of us in this room have already become dependent on God, but we do need to be reminded, would you agree, that dependence on God is where freedom resides, that we cannot do enough good on our own. It's the first step to heart conditioning. And then the next point here is a lot more practical, but I want to put these words on the screen. It is to fear less and forgive more. One of the ladies in our church after first service said said it should be fear not, forgive more. And that's probably true. But there's a play on words here that I didn't want to miss out on. Fear less, forgive more. There's another play here with fear less that it, if I put together, it's fearless, right? Fearlessness kind of involves um, even, even an amount of, um, of, of uh, trust that goes beyond just confidence. It's, it's I'm going to go the extra mile, even maybe to, for my life, I kind of go into stupidity sometimes that I think I can make it from here to there if I jump and run fast enough, I'll get it. It's a fearlessness that I'm wanting to ask us to come up to because I think these two things, fear and unforgiveness, paralyze the heart. Even after you've become dependent on Christ, did you know that the environment of your heart can be poisoned by these kinds of things, by fear, by unforgiveness? Very simply put, and in a, a way that's going to kind of sound like self-help, I want to give you these three words. One of them is already written for you there. And they are act, learn, and react. Everyone say act. Say act. Say learn. Say react. It's just basic decision-making principles. But we forget to live by these. Act. Here's the importance to this step. Take a smart step as quickly as you can toward your goal. Sometimes we are aimless with our actions. And this is not the way we should move. We should move through life taking smart actions. And then the second point, learn. Every time we act, realities change, don't they? Sometimes the step you take gets you closer or, more, or nearer to what you want. But sometimes what you want changes as a result of the steps you took. Many of you... Maybe you experienced that in a relationship. You thought you knew what you wanted and then that wasn't the case. Or going on to college and that's not for you or for everybody. Or a career choice. But the key is learning something new. And then if I could hyphenate that last one, it would be that. It would be to react. And it's not a reaction like, like out of anger. But we need to take what we learned and good, bad, or indifferent, we need to act again. This is simple stuff, right? But we forget it. Make another move, a different move, and one that makes more sense the second or third or fourth time around. But above all things, put away fear. We have not because we ask not, yes? I believe in life we have not most of the time because we try not. We don't go after our goals because we are paralyzed by fear. 
And then the second half of this, forgive more. Would you agree with me that there's nothing quite as debilitating to the heart's condition as unforgiveness? I know that in my life it's true. It's the thing that causes me to project an image on God that isn't right, that isn't true of who he is because there is a resentment for relationships that happen here on earth going on in my own heart. And I can't get on my way with Jesus because I'm stuck in unforgiveness. Everyone do me a favor and close your fist like this and hold it up. And now, now I want you to put it on the side of your head. And I want you to say, I am. Say it loud. Say, I am a knucklehead. Really, that's good. Unforgiveness. We can't get to that. Some of you want to put it on your neighbor's head. I know that. You say, he is yeah, a knucklehead. We can't figure it out. We are all in process. We got to rest in that as a body. That we are all in process. And frankly, some of us are just going slower in that process than others. It's another small bit of self-help, but I want you to see it on the screen. Are are you ready for this? It's really mind-blowing. It's like the best thing you'll ever read on a screen in your entire life. Here we go. Stop unforgiving people. The, The word tells us that if we don't forgive others, then what? Then he won't forgive us. It's not a negotiable. Forgiveness isn't something that we can kind of do, that we can put off until the end. In a very real situation, you should know in my own life, I've dealt with different cycles of unforgiveness. Even with my own earthly father, and we've come back to reconciliation, and and even at times further beyond reconciliation, we've been able to restore relationship, and then some sort of knucklehead move goes on again and I have to continue to cycle back through it. Enter Oscar Wilde. This 19th century poet and author has an amazing hairdo. And he once said, always forgive your enemies. Nothing annoys them so much. (laughs) Isn't that a good statement? Nothing annoys them so much. You remember the knucklehead idea? Did you know that the grudge you're holding? Not in all cases, but in most cases, the knuckleheads don't even know what they did. They've they've forgotten. They've moved on. And it's time for us to, to have the conversations and get on in life. It's a non negotiable forgiveness. I do know that there are steps to forgiveness too, so maybe we ought to even go back to the act, learn, and react. Sometimes we need to, to take the first step in, in, in getting to forgiveness, and, and maybe it's yourself. Maybe you're, you're struggling with forgiving yourself. You've got to, to figure out that first step, whether it be telling somebody, just exposing the truth about what's going on, and we move through the steps of forgiveness. I am not dismantling the cause for pain that is in each and every one of us. I do know that there are real violations and it takes time and energy and lots of grace to work things out. But even in the darkest of times and especially 
this is the killer, especially when it comes to family, the heart must be conditioned to forgive. Look at Galatians with me in chapter 6 in verse 7. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. Everyone say doing good. For at the proper time, we, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, everyone say opportunity. Let us do good to all people. And then the, the real killer, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Why the clarification in this passage? Why especially to those who belong to the family of believers? It's simple. It's because in family, flaws are on display. My wife knows that I smell horribly. You might know that I smell horribly. It just depends on how close we are. We, we can't forget that it's easy to forgive our enemies. Sometimes it's more difficult to forgive our spouse or like I said earlier, yourself or your coworker, because you know their flaws. You say, well, I'm just waiting for him to apologize to me. Knucklehead, y'all. You got to get on down the road. Forgive more. The third point here that I'll make today is that in our heart conditioning, we've got to learn to lead it and to feed it. I know, these are just like, like I got to get a tattoo now. No, that, that's not true. I want you to remember these. I want them to stick. Lead your heart. Feed your heart. Okay, so just about every time that I get the opportunity to speak here at One Chapel, as I'm preparing, I feel like the Lord gives me something that maybe is a bit like salt, that it comes with some force and some sting. Do you guys know this already, if you've been around? And so here's, here, if you're like, well, I thought that already happened. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry for this, the weightiness of the message. But, but here's the point that I'm going to make here about leading your heart. And I'm going to call this, everyone else is doing it. And I'm going to read it to you. I want you to just put your notes down. And I want you to hear me, maybe close your eyes, whatever it is that you need to do to focus. The scriptures will come up on the screen as I read through those. But this has to do with leading our hearts. I'll say it like this. Our current culture is always aiming to force feed us what they think is best. They tell us to follow our hearts, not to lead them. To pursue fortune and fame, to do what feels right. We all know it. After all, everyone else is doing it. And yet in the words of Christ in Matthew 7, he says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. One chapel, to me, the wide gate and the broad road sure sound a lot like everyone else is doing it, doesn't it? Yet still, as long as I'm having fun, as long as nobody finds out, or even just as long as I'm hanging on, we follow our hearts. Can I suggest that we consider our heart's unreliable nature today? It will always be much easier for me to blame the president 
than to own the consequences of my own actions. Can I suggest that we stop consuming anything and everything that the world puts in front of us? It doesn't have to take for one chapel some sort of relational, economic, or spiritual collapse for us to stop, pull back, and reevaluate. We have to choose the narrow road. We cannot go down the wide path. After all, everyone else is doing it. Can you take that today? Can you receive that today? I, I want to I point you to some, some specifics. I have three things that the Lord was working on me personally this week. And, and I think it's something that the majority of us struggle with. I want you to see the wide road, the, the kind of aimless walking that we do as we go through life. And I'm going to ask him in these questions, almost pointed to myself. Here, here are the questions. What if I was as quick to the word of God as I am to a Google search when I need advice? Watch me. What if I was as quick to the word of God, the narrow road, as I was to a Google search, the wide road, when I needed an answer. You say, well, that's not that big of a deal. We, we live in a world that's as biblically illiterate as any time in the history of the church. And we don't talk about it enough that when we go search for answers in this day and age, we go down the wide road and we ask Siri. Isn't Jesus' truth better than Wikipedia's? Now, I know there's a place for a search and trying to figure things out. It's kind of the encyclopedia of our day. But watch this. Let me tell you this phrase here. I think it's on your notes there. We were created to crave what we consume. What? We were created to crave what we consume. It's the way God made us. You ever heard the phrase, you are what you eat? You ever heard that? Garbage in, garbage out. Look at this little phrase here. Don't forget, you are what you eat. I need you to skinny person. <laughs> That's kind of funny. I like that. That's why I showed you. You are what you eat. Garbage in, garbage out. Home slice in, home slice out. Corn in. Yep. It made it into the message. Corn in, corn out. They call that deja vu, you know. Deja vu. Wait a minute, I've seen that before. If you are a guest, I apologize. Ross.parsley at onechapel.com. There are laws of sowing and reaping, and we know it. Of what goes around comes around. So check this out. If we were created, and this is, this is the word I, I want you to get. I believe we were created to crave what we consume. Why? Because the Lord is not a knucklehead. He knew that once we direct our attentions to him, that when we begin to lead our hearts in the right way, when we begin to feed our hearts in the right way, watch this, he would get the best of you on repeat he would get the best of me on repeat 
But here we are in a world that leads us one way that says stuff like, what if I was as quick, oh, here's another question for you, what if I was as quick to celebrate Jesus as I am to celebrate my favorite sports team? I commend one chapel in the way you respond to God. But if you've been watching the World Cup, man, those people are praising those young athletes as if they were gods. The wide road. You celebrate your favorite actor. You celebrate Pinterest. I don't know. But we should never celebrate anything more than we celebrate God. What if I was as quick to having my neighbors over for dinner? as I was to updating my social status on Facebook or on Instagram. And you're thinking, yeah, he went there. He went there with the Facebook thing. It's a wide road, y'all. It's, it's where the aimless go, the unrooted ones. I spend as much time there as you, I promise. You see my posts, and I joke on yours. But we cannot say, I don't have time for my neighbors if I spend hours on end updating my social status every day. It's, it's, a, it's a duh moment. It's, it's where we, we realize that, oh man, maybe there is some things in my life that I need to stop going down the broad road in and I need to get more narrow focus, not, not, um, not obsolete, not out of the world, but in it and not of it. This is where we're at. For what goes in comes out. So my, my challenge to us as I close today comes from King David. I want you to see this picture. It's a creepy picture, I know. But here's King David, the best image I could find of him with his eyes to heaven, and he's either there with a harp or a lyre, which I don't know what that is. But here he is, and this is the shepherd boy turned king, y'all. This is the one that, what does the Bible say? That he was a man after God's own heart. I got a feeling that David had settled his issues with fear, don't you? Think of Goliath. With unforgiveness. Over and over again, people trying to kill him. I have never had someone try to kill me that I know of. That he knew his time with Jesus was more important than his time with anyone else. He led his heart well. He fed his heart well. And this shepherd boy turned king once said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. I, I heard someone say that. It's a song. You're right. Can we sing it? Create in me a clean heart, O God. Sing it out. And renew a right spirit. Sing that again. Create. Create in me a clean heart. Heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not, 
Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit. Will you put your hand on your heart as we close here? I want you to think about, I want you to think about the unreliable nature that's here. And how we are doomed without Jesus coming in. Without God creating a new heart, a clean one. And, and what I want for you today is I'd love for you to just ask the heart, ask your heart to have the courage and the strength to do what you need to do when it comes to fear and taking the next step in your life and not living with regrets and continuing to cycle over and over and over again. And ask your heart to respond well to the forgiveness that you need to do. Maybe you need to forgive yourself or real simply the person right next to you. And then ask your heart to respond to the way you're going to determine to lead it, to not go down the wide path and through the wide gate, but that we would choose the narrow and that we would feed our hearts what God would ask us to put in it and nothing more. For we were created to crave what we consume. You know, here this afternoon, maybe you're back at step one and you've not given Jesus residency. You know, he says in his word that he stands at every heart's door and he knocks. And so he's knocking today. And if that's you, I'm, I'm going to ask real simply that at the end of our service that you come forward and you pray with someone and that you let them know that you're making a decision to let it go to give Jesus residency, or maybe you're coming back. You need to re-engage that relationship with God. And I'd ask that you'd fill out the connection card in the seat back in front of you so we can know, so one chapel can know how to help you with next steps. And for the rest of us, I believe God did something in you that he's going to point out what you're to do next. And so I want you to stand. I just want everybody to stand to your feet, and I'm going to pray and will be dismissed. So maybe the, the goofiest of points as I was writing this message that I could make is the one about act 
learn and react. I was wondering, do I even put this in here? It seems so elementary, but but that's that's kind of the one I, I want to leave you with. I, I want to pray that you would act. You know, the only way that we grow as individuals is if we do more than just pay attention to the things that are wrong. We've got to go somewhere, right? You, you might need to come forward and pray with someone. In fact, the prayer team, why don't you go ahead and come on up? And they'll be here when I, when I dismiss. And for those of you that want chapels your home, the offering buckets or bins will be in the hallway. And if you uh, want to give your tithe and offering, do that today. We don't make a big hoopla about it around here, but we believe that, that your tithe uh, is uh, something that you uh, respond to God with in your worship. And so you can give that on your way out. But I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that all those things that maybe came up into your spirit, into your heart, that you would act and that you would learn and that you would react as you go through the week. So once again, just put your hand on your heart and let me pray for you and we'll be dismissed. Father, teach us the simple principle of acting and learning and reacting. That today you would help us move on in our faith, past the brokenness and into something new that would cause healing to come. Past the fear and on to that new venture. Maybe it's a, a business that the Lord has shown you to start or maybe it is very simply just to have the courage to continue on in the thing you're doing right now. And then that we would take everything we learn and we'd react. That we would do it again when it doesn't work out. We love you. We bless you, Jesus. Come create in us clean hearts and renew right spirits within us. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Have a wonderful day.